Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Romans right now, and the first main theme in the book of Romans is sin uh, that Paul deals with. In chapter 1 of uh, Romans, he pretty much just looks at the Gentiles, which in that day and time, anyone that's not a Jew, and part of the Jewish faith would have been a Gentile. So uh, he looks at them, and he says, you're all sinners. Uh, you're really bad, and the Jews, of course, would have been uh, saying amen to that. Uh, Paul was saying because of uh, uh, creation and conscience, because God built something inside of you when he made you that testifies whether you want to admit it or not, there is a God. And, uh, and through creation, if you just look the world around you, that bears evidence that there is a creator, a designer, a God. So that holds all the Gentiles accountable before God. Like I said, the Jews would have thought, yeah, Paul, that's right. You know, the Gentiles are bad. Tell them how bad they are. So in Romans chapter 2, Paul turns the table on them, and he looks at the Jew or a self-righteous person. You might use it in this day and time. And he looks at, uh, at them, and he says, guess what? You're just as bad as the Gentiles I talked about. Uh, and the Jews would have been shocked by that, or a religious person today would be uh, shocked by that, being told that you know, you're just as much of a sinner as people that we think of uh, that might be really bad sinners or, or whatever in the world. Uh, the Jews, in fact, were more accountable to God than just the Gentiles. And here's why. The Jews also had conscience that told them there was a God. The Jews also had creation to look at that said, yes, there's a God. But the Jews had this. The Jews had communication from God. They had the Word of God given to them, and that made them even more accountable before God. When we get to Romans chapter 3, and that's where we are today, Paul has not only said that the Gentiles are sinners and that the Jews are sinners, now he kind of wraps it all together, and, and he says the whole world is accountable before God. The whole world is guilty before God. Another way of saying that is this. God alone is righteous because if God alone is righteous, which is true, and that's what the Bible teaches, that means what? We are all sinners before him. And yet we try and push back on that. We don't like the idea of being told that we are, are sinners. And we don't like the idea of being accountable to God. So, so man, through a lot of different ways, a lot of different devices, will try, and, will try and escape accountability before God. We use our human logic uh, to try and, you know, explain away God in somehow, or to ignore that there's a, a real God. Uh, we'll use systems of belief. I don't know if you realize this or not, but evolution is really a system of belief because it can't be proved, never has been proven. It takes more faith to believe evolution than it does just to believe the creation story in the Bible. So man will even come up with all kinds of reasons why there's not a God. And if that doesn't work, man will even do this in his own logic sometimes. We will try and bring accusations against God, thinking if we can lay an accusation at the foot of God and make something his fault, that somehow gets us off the hook. And that's really what Paul is writing about in the verses that we're going to look at today. Paul kind of thinks of these accusations in advance. 
Paul, being a Jew himself, is thinking of things that people might bring up and say. Or as just a human being himself, a very logical thinking human being, I believe Paul was, that God used to write most of the New Testament. He, he brings up some issues, some accusations that people might hurl at God in an attempt to make themselves feel less accountable to God. And Paul brings up about four accusations that we're going to look at today. And, and then he answers these four accusations himself. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 20. And as Paul answers these four accusations that people want to hurl against God, uh, in essence, he's going to prove that God alone is the one that, that's righteous. Here's accusation number one. Accusation number one is this. God is unrighteous to judge the Jews. Like I said, Paul being a Jew would know how a Jew would think. And uh, Paul would be thinking, all right, I've just told the Gentiles they're sinners, and now I've turned it on the Jews, and I've told them that they're sinners. Uh, a logical question some religious Jew might ask would be this, and, and he writes it in verse 1 and 2. What, then what advantage has the Jew? In other words, you know, if, if, if you're going to judge us for our sin, God, what advantage is it to call ourselves Jews? You know, what value is like our, our rituals and everything, such as, as circumcision? And Paul says, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So think about that for a moment. Put yourself in their position. You see, they're trying to bring an accusation against God that goes along these lines. Well, God, you, you made us. You, you called us to be your people. You, you brought us out of Egypt. You, you've told us to follow you. You've given us all these rituals. We're supposed to be your people. But now you're telling us that we're accountable and guilty before you like the Gentile world. So what's the use of being a Jew to start with? You know, why, why go through all this? Why claim to be a Jew? Why have these rituals that you've given us? If, in essence, there seems not to be any advantage uh, in that. So it's like this accusation is being hurled against them, saying, God, you're not dealing with us right because, you know, you, you've called us to follow you, and yet now you're telling us you're still going to judge us for sin. Now, I want to qualify before going any further. There's a difference between condemnation and judgment. Just because you and I know Christ is our Savior, you know, that's a guarantee that God will not condemn us for our sin. It does not mean He will wink at our sin and never judge us for sin in our lives. And we've got a world that's kind of departed from that in, in a great degree. Paul answers this accusation, though, and here's what he says. Yes, there is some benefit to, uh, to being a Jew because the Jews were entrusted with the Word of God. Now, now think about the benefit of that. Uh, you know, in our culture today, if you just listen to our society and our world, that would be minimized a whole lot. But look at it in the terms that Paul is writing about. I mean, for the Jews to be given the Word of God, to be entrusted as the oracles of the Word of God, man, what a benefit that is. Not only were they given God's Word, they were called to proclaim God's Word. And, and God's not through the Jews. The Bible tells us that later on, there's going to be a time that they will preach the gospel when the great tribulation is happening here upon this earth. He'll deal later on in the book of Romans showing us why God's not fully written the Jews off. And, you know, we'll get there when we get there. But, but the fact that God gave them the Word of God is a very... Very great advantage, not just for them, but still yet for us. See, by having the Word of God to start with, you've got a guidebook for life. You realize that. You know, and to have a guidebook for life means that, well, we, we kind of need to read it and, and we need to apply it if this is a guidebook for life. 
course, we don't do that a lot of times, do we? We, we treat the Bible a lot of times like maybe some of us guys treat an instruction manual and something that we buy, you know? You know, we, we buy something. Men, men don't need owner's manuals, do we, huh, guys? You know, why? Because we're men, huh? You know, so, so we can just figure it out and put it together, and we'll get the instructions and everything else and put it aside. I've been guilty of that before. Some of you guys have been guilty of that before. And then after you put it together, you stand back and you look at it and you think, it don't look quite right, does it? I think I put that shelf on backwards, you know, or, or, you know, something doesn't fit. And then you have to dissemble everything. And you know what you figure out? You figure out, I should have read the instruction manual as to how to put it together. It's not a problem with the manufacturer. It's not the manufacturer's fault. The manufacturer made it, and he gave you instruction manual on how to assemble it. And you just decided, I don't need it. Well, the, the same principle is kind of true for the, for the Word of God. God has given us a guidebook for, for a living, but you know what? We get our lives kind of messed up and crooked and shells on backwards and everything else because we ignore this and we just think, I know how to live life myself. I don't need God or anybody else telling me how to live. But God gives us his word as a guidebook. David wrote this in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We live in a dark world. If I want to see how to live, how to walk, what to do in my life, I, I need the Word of God showing me. So that was a huge advantage for the Jew. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, don't say, well, there's no benefit in being a Jew because you're going to also judge us for our sin and we're guilty and accountable before you. Paul says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. God has given you His Word. And, and you know what? If they had really listened to it like they should, it would have saved them a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, just like it would us in our lives. Not only is it a guidebook for a living, by having the Word of God, the Jews were given the very will and purpose of God. I mean, imagine that. The very creator of all the universe talks to us, his creatures, and he says, I want you to know about me. I want you to know me. I want you to know my will. I want you to know my purposes. Next slide. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 talks about Scripture. Breathe out from God. In other words, it's, you know, it's not just man's words. Breathe out from God. It's profitable. It's good. Look for what it helps us with. Teaching, reproof, correction, for training righteousness, that the man of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. I mean, that's just one among many verses we could read and look at. God gives us his word. There's a benefit to it. We can know the very will and the purpose of God. And, and that was true for the Jews. He had entrusted them the, the oracles of God. Psalm 138, verse 2, lets us know a little bit more about how important the Word of God is. David writes, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Notice this, for you have exalted above all things your name and what? And what? What else does it say? In your Word. That's why the Bible ought to be important to us. Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is what? Truth. If you want the truth for your life, it comes to the word of God. The, the Jews had great benefit by having the word of God. It's also a guide to eternal life. John 6, 68. After, you know, some had just turned and walked away, Jesus kind of looked at his disciples and said, you're going to go away too. And and, and Peter, I think, is the one that responds, and he says this, Well, Lord, to whom shall we go? You
Philippians, we need to hold fast to the word of what? It's the, it's the word of life. There, there's great benefit, benefit for the, for the Jews, but it's not done with them. There's benefit for us in this day and time in our life, still yet today, for us to have the word of God. We, we don't ever need to forsake it and, and do away with it. We need to read it, but don't just read it. You need to apply it. Like I said, it's a, it's a manual for living. You find out God's will and his purposes for, for your life. Now, there's some other benefits for the Jews, too, that Paul doesn't just detail out that I want to throw out to you. One was God made a covenant with them. Man, that's huge. The God of all the universe makes a covenant, an agreement with you that he will not ever go back on. That's what he did with the Jews. But then another great benefit is this. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, is born from the Jewish race. Look at this verse of Scripture that we'll see later on in, in Romans. Beers is the adoption as sons. He's writing about the, the Jews. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. See, in, in, in light of the Jews saying, well, you called us to follow you, but God, it seems like it's not right for you to call us to follow you. And then you're telling us we're accountable before you for, for our sin. What benefit? What's the use? And Paul says this. He, he, he gave you this, guys. <laughs> There's great benefit because he's, he's given this to you. And Jesus is born right from the bloodline of, of the Jewish. But even though they had these privileges, it didn't make them better. We'll, we'll come to that in, later on in, in the message today in Romans 3, verse 9. It didn't make them better than everybody else, but it did give them some advantages first accusation that paul recognizes that sinful man who does not like to be called sinful man in particular a jew being called a sinner and saying you're just as bad as the gentiles would be this what's the purpose then of us being jews and he says guess what i gave you this that's what god says through the pen of paul second accusation that paul brings up is this god's promises are ineffective God's promises are, are ineffective. Look, look at verse 3 and 4. What if some were unfaithful? He's talking about, well, what if some of the Jews were unfaithful or some of your followers? What if they're unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify, nullify the faithfulness of God? See, here, here's what he's hitting at because there's a, a mindset sometimes among people since we're trying to find reasons to have an accusation against God to start with for us to do something like this. Well, God, if your word's really important and you're so powerful, why are the people that say they're your people, why are they unfaithful a lot of times? And the fact that your people are unfaithful, that must mean there's some kind of accusation or, or character flaw against you. And, and that's what Paul's bringing up, what he's going to answer. And then he says, by no means. Let God be true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when when you are judged we still have this same type of mindset like i said in the world we live in today not just then people will watch our lives as christians and when they see unfaithfulness on our behalf sometimes a lost world will take that and try and use it against god and say god if these people are unfaithful then there must be some problem with you the promises you've given them, the life change that they say they have, there, there must be something wrong with you. They'll try and turn our unfaithfulness against God and make it sound like God 
must not be very faithful too. There must be some problem with God or that our unfaithfulness undermines the faithfulness of God. Not just the lost world using that. There are very religious people that use kind of a, a nuance of that, and that is this. Well, you know, those people that are supposed to belong to you, they've sinned now, so they must not belong to you. Since they said they were yours, but look, they've fallen, there's a sin in their life. God, that, that must mean that they're not yours anymore, as though our unfaithfulness cancels the faithfulness of God in the promise of God. That, that's kind of at the heart of what Paul is, is talking about here. But see, questions like that do this. That's a direct attack against the sovereignty of God. As though a sovereign God cannot always keep his promise. That's a direct attack against the power of God. For people to try and look at those who say they're God's people and they've had some unfaithfulness in their life and say, God, there must be a problem with you. You must not be powerful enough to help them live the lives that they're supposed to live. So there must be a problem with you. It's as though we're saying the unfaithfulness of the creature can, can do away with the faithfulness of the creator, which is impossible. So Paul raises that as a question, and then he answers it, and he says, by no means. And after he says, by no means, does our unfaithfulness mean that God is not faithful? He answers it with three things. Number one is this. God is always true. God is always true. He writes these words, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. The, the word that's used here in the, in the Greek for true means true as in not concealing. So, so apply that really to what he's talking about here as far as you know, people being God's people and following him. And God always being faithful, even if we're unfaithful. See, God in his truth does not say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But back here in some small print, in a parenthetical statement, I'm hiding from you. If you wind up being unfaithful, then that means that I'm not faithful. See, God doesn't hide stuff in the small print. God doesn't conceal his truth. His truth is straightforward, and his truth is not impacted or changed by your faithfulness or lack of faithfulness. By my faithfulness or lack of faithfulness does not change the character of God. It does not change the faithfulness of God just because we might be unfaithful. Now, that doesn't set us off the hook. Let us off the hook where it's all right to go be unfaithful. That's not what he's teaching at all. We'll see that in just a moment. But he's just simply making a straightforward statement that our, that our culture really needs to grab in this day and time because somehow our culture thinks we're smarter than God sometimes. When the truth of the matter is this, God is true whether you agree with him or not. And you can try and act like it's not true. And you can try and challenge God. And you can try and just throw away the truth. I, I'm telling you, God's always true. And whether you like it or not, if you're trying to say that he's not you're the one that's a liar god is always 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 true man our culture needs to grab that in this day and time paul also answers this as to why our unfaithfulness doesn't mean that god is is unfaithful god is not just always true god is always just paul quotes here from psalm 51 4 and it says, as it is written, that, that you may be justified 
in your words. Now, to boil down what the word justified means, I mean, right there's what it technically means in, in the Greek, to, to render, to show, to regard as just or innocent, uh, equitable in character or actions, innocent or absolutely holy. You can boil it down like this. God is always right. God will never, ever do anything that's wrong. God is always right. He's always just. Our culture really needs to grab that because, you see, we live in a culture, and I'll, I'll deal with this in more detail in a moment, but we live in a culture in a world today where we're trying to judge God based on our concept of fairness. Whether something is fair or not. That's, that's at the heart of a lot of the hot topic issues that's been, you know, out, like the marriage amendment where that was out, you know, a while back. You know, the heart of that is people trying to say, well, but, but we have to be fair. It's not fair for someone not to be able to marry and someone else to marry. Listen, it's not about fairness. It's about what God says is right to start with. It's not about our concept of fairness. Honest, God, we, we live in a culture today where people can't even process logical thinking. And yet, they want to challenge God. Now, you know, I, I want to give a disclaimer up front because I mentioned Chick-fil-A last week and someone's going to think the pastor's getting a kickback from Chick-fil-A for doing advertisements for Chick-fil-A. I'm not. It just became one of those hot topic issues that hit the news, you know, here recently and, and everything like that. Can, can I show you uh, an illustration, just an example of how people don't even think logically anymore? The, the mayor of Chicago had said that he wants to block any more Chick-fil-A's coming to Chicago because Chick-fil-A does not represent the values of Chicago. Now, that's probably the gospel truth. <laughs> I mean, it probably is. Huh? I mean, to be honest with you. But think about the thing, how illogical that is. Okay, it's okay to have strip bars and, you know, everything like that under the sun, but, but you know, that fits our values, but, but don't send a Chick-fil-A. See, I'm just telling you, people don't even think logically. And somehow they think they can argue and win an argument with God. God, God is always just. He always does what's right. And when he quotes David here, David, by the way, in Psalm 51, is repentant of his own sin. David didn't try to excuse his sin. David didn't say, God, it's your fault that you made Bathsheba so pretty. God, it was your fault I stayed home and didn't go to the battle. It was your fault I stood up on the rooftop and I saw her. It was your fault that she was so beautiful I just had to have sex with her. It's your fault that she conceived a child. It's your fault that I had to have her husband murdered in battle so I can cover up my sin. That is not the way that David approached it. That's the way a lot of people try to approach sin today. What David did was this. He said, I'm a sinner. I've done what is wrong. God, please restore me. And in that, he said that you may be justified in your words. David wasn't trying to say god my sin is your fault he was trying to say i'm guilty of my sin god is always just he always does what's right whether you agree with it or not you see that that doesn't matter whether you agree or whether i agree god is always true god is always just and if you try to judge god by the way god will always prevail and that's the third thing that that paul says here god will always prevail he said that you might be just when you speak and, and prevail when you are judged. See, that's the whole reason Paul's really writing this section here. He's bringing up questions in this letter to the Romans that logical people might ask. 
accusations that they may try and hurl against God. The Jews saying, well, what's the purpose of being a Jew if you're going to judge us anyway? Here's the purpose, here's the advantage of it. Gave you the word. Or, or a person trying to, trying to say, well, you know, God, what, what's the purpose then of, of, of your promises? Your, your promises must be ineffective. It must not really matter. It must not really change lives. And, and you've got people out there claiming to be your people that are unfaithful. So that must be some reflection upon you. Or at the very least, it must mean that their unfaithfulness cancels your faithfulness. So the reason he's writing is, is there being accusations that people bring then and still bring against God. Here's the deal with that. Anytime we try to judge God, back up please, anytime we try to judge, judge God, guess what? He's always going to prevail. The word means to subdue, to conquer, to overcome, to get the victory. The root word means conquest or victory. We, we can't have an accusation against God and win. Mankind trying to argue against God and make God out to be unjust and trying to excuse ourselves for our sin. God will always, always prevail. We, we cannot bring attacks against God. Our lack of character does not diminish the character of God. When, when we're unfaithful, that does not mean that there's something wrong with the faithfulness of God. Never, ever can our unfaithfulness actually destroy the faithfulness of God. Instead, it, it, it really establishes His faithfulness. Because He alone is what? Righteous. And the fact that we're sinners just is like, you know, comparing dark and light or black and white. That just shows all the more because of our sin that God is, is true, that God is, God is righteous. Paul later encouraged Timothy by writing these words in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If by faith we have trusted in Jesus, that means we died with him. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, and yet I live. He said, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he'll also disown us. That means, you know, you've, you've not having any faith in him at all. If we're faithless, though, if, we're, if we are faithless, notice this. He will what? Remain faithful. Because he cannot disown himself. Now, that's not sinking in like it needs to, because everybody here all Because, you see, the truth of the matter is we are unfaithful sometimes. Because even though, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you still got this stinking flesh that you're having to deal with. And we are unfaithful sometimes. We will fall short sometimes. We'll look at things, say things, do things that we shouldn't do sometimes. And a lot of times the devil wants to come along and point his little finger at us and say, See there? We well, see, my eternal destiny is not dependent upon my faithfulness. It's dependent upon his faithfulness. And even when, even when we are unfaithful, he is always faithful. Why? Because he cannot disown himself, which really means this. God cannot lie to us. God cannot disown his own character. When God makes us a promise that if we'll call upon the name of Jesus, he will save us, for God to ever take that back would be a flaw in the character of God. For God to lie to us would mean that he's not God. God is always, always, always faithful, even though you and I may be unfaithful sometimes. 
And I tell you what, I love that. I like that because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And I have periods of my life when I'm unfaithful. Thank God it doesn't cancel out his faithfulness. Thank God he always keeps his word. He always keeps his promises. My salvation and your salvation, if you know Christ as your Savior, is secure because it's bound upon his faithfulness, not yours. Paul's trying to answer some accusations that people may bring up against God. One from the Jews saying, well, God, what's, if you're going to judge me anyway, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Once again, you've got this. Well, some people bring accusations. We've got people that say they're your people. Look, they're, they're living unfaithful lives sometimes. Surely there must be some problem with you. No, Paul answers. He says, God's always true. God's always just or he's always right and God will always prevail. So if you try and judge him and argue against him, you're not winning the argument. Third accusation that Paul brings up is this. God is unrighteous to judge mankind whom he made knowing that man would sin. Have you ever thought about that one? I mean, think about it logically just for a minute. Use your human logic that we like to use and replace God's wisdom with so often in our lives. Honestly, just think about it, human logic. If God made us with a free will, being an all-knowing God, knowing up front we would sin, does that not kind of sound like maybe there's something screwed up about God? I mean, in, in our human logic, does, does that not maybe make us think, God, that's kind of not right. I mean, that's a little bit of unrighteousness on your behalf for you to make us, knowing we'd sin? Make us to where we can sin. You see, that's the way human logic tries to think a lot of times. He says this in verse 5 through 8. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us. And he says, I'm, Paul's wanting to be sure he's not saying, look, that's my doctrinal stance. He said, I'm just using human logic. I'm speaking as a human. The issue I just brought up, if our, if our sin shows the righteousness of God, then it really is not God unrighteous if he's going to inflict wrath upon us because we're sinners. And then he says, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? So in other words, the, the other logical argument is this. Well, God, you, you made us knowing we had sinned, so... If, if my lie, if the lie of my life, if me living disobedient to your truth causes your truth to appear to be more glorious, then, then God, that kind of is a little bit weird. It's like you've done something that's wrong. You're glorifying yourself, us being sinners. And then the progressive thought of, there is, of that is this, and why not do evil that good may come? In other words, well, God, if we're sinners, and by us being sinners, it actually kind of in some weird way glorifies you and your truth, then why don't we just sin all the more and bring more glory to you? And Paul said some people were even slanderously charging that he was saying that because Paul was so big teaching the grace of God. People were trying to say that Paul was teaching, well, you know, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can live any way you want to. And that is definitely not what Paul teaches. I'm going to rephrase some questions and bring them up that a little bit deep if you'll think through them. But I think it's questions logically that 
that people ask. I think some of these are questions that people in our culture today try and hold up as to why they don't believe God is right. First one is this. Isn't it wrong for God to judge us since He made us with a free will knowing we'd become sinners? I mean, weigh that out in just human logic and it seems like something wrong about God. Number two, if our sin serves to show or display God's righteousness, is that not a prideful character flaw in God? In other words, if the fact that we're sinners somehow makes you know God appear to be more righteous than God you allowing us to be sinners to start with creating us where we can sin is that not a little bit prideful you to, for you to do that trying to make yourself look better number three isn't it unrighteous for God to make man knowing man would sin against God's truth and then God used man's unrighteousness to glorify his truth they're wrong my truth is right Number four, and if our sin somehow glorifies God's truth, what I mentioned a minute, a minute ago, why not sin all the more? And if our sin is glorifying God's truth, how can he judge us for sinning? Since our sin just makes him to appear that much greater. See, all those are kind of some, some deep truths and, and, or deep questions and, and logical questions I think a lot of people ask in our, in our culture today. So Paul answers again, by no means. And then he goes on to say, why? Now, I want to I just be really transparent and tell you up front that the answers that Paul gives, unless you believe there's a God, won't mean squat to you. <laughs> because Paul gives these answers from the standpoint of being someone who came out of Judaism, that believed that there's a God, that knew there was a God. Paul's already written in, in Romans chapter 1 that everyone has an awareness of God in their conscious and through creation so for people to say oh, I believe there's a God almost off the chart crazy for Paul you know so the, the answers he gives here comes from a faith based standpoint here's his first answer why God is not unrighteous by making us in us becoming sinners he simply says this if God were unrighteous who could judge the world I mean, think about that from a faith standpoint. If, if, if he says, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? Even Abraham identified God early on there in Genesis 18. He proclaimed God as the judge of all the earth. And, and he said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Paul doesn't go into detail. He, he, he's not in this text about telling us how God's going to judge the world. He's simply making this point. If God were unrighteous... By making men who are sinners. Then where in the world would the standard of righteousness be? If God is unrighteous because he made mankind who fell into sin and gave us the free will to fall into sin, if that makes God unrighteous, where's the standard of truth? Where's the standard of morality? Where's the standard of, 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 of truth at all in the world? gives second answer he kind of gives says this excuses that we make for our sins only result in rightful condemnation remember what they said a moment ago well if our sin glorifies God why not sin all the more whenever we try to make excuses for sin they said and why not do evil that good may 
may come, as some people slanderously charge that we're saying. Paul says, if you've got that mindset, then your condemnation is just as what he's saying about for people to have this doctrine in their mind. Well, let's do evil that good may come out of it. Paul clearly says that us trying to excuse our own sin does not get us off the hook. If you make an excuse and say, well, you know, if I'm seeing it, it makes you look good, God, then I ought to sin all the more, and you shouldn't judge me for it. You thinking that does not get you off the hook. If you've got that as a doctrinal stance in your life, well, God, I've thought about this logically, and you made us, and then we're sinners, so you're glorifying yourself somehow through our sinfulness, then... God, you can't judge us. Just because that's your belief system does not mean that God won't judge you. And that that gets you off the hook. Romans chapter 6 and, and verse 1 through 4. We'll deal with this in detail when we get there, but listen to what Paul writes. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no what means, he says again. How can we who died to sin still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? What does it say? N newness of life. So we'll hit that in detail when we get there. But let me give you the gist of it right now. He said, when we believed in Jesus, we were crucified with Christ, so we were dead. You know what will help you and, and myself if we'll remind ourselves of this when temptation hits? No, I'm a corpse. I'm dead. I was crucified with Jesus, so I'm not going to give in to the temptation. That's the mindset that you ought to have. I'm not saying that makes you sinless. I'm saying that's the practical mindset that we ought to have when we're confronted with temptation is remind ourselves, I was crucified with Jesus. I'm dead to my sin. But then you need to remember the last part of that. He didn't save us so we can walk the same way we used to walk, do the same things we used to do. He saved us so we can walk in newness of life. So for you and I or anybody else to say, God, you're unrighteous, there's something wrong with you, you made us and we fell into sin, and you knew we would sin. That means there's a character flaw with you. No, God in eternity past not only know we knew that we would sin, God also already had the solution planned. And we'll get there next week, but for right now, I want you to see in this verse, God, God's righteously dealing with our sin. will be proven throughout the rest of this book, but right here's where we'll be next week. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as payment with His blood for our sins, is what He's talking about, to be received by faith, for us to believe that by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He 
might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, there's no character flaw in God that God made us knowing we'd become sinners. God made us knowing we'd become sinners, knowing up front that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. And that by the free gift of salvation that he offers us, he's both just and holy at the same time. He's justified. He is not any type of unrighteousness with God because he made us knowing we were sinners. Yes, he did. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus was always coming. The last accusation that people want to bring up against God that Paul raises here himself and he answers is this. Accusation number four is that God deals unfairly with people. God deals unfairly with people. People always want to charge God with not operating on a fair playing field. They want to charge God with with not acting fairly in order to hold God accountable to us, in order to hold God responsible to our view of what fairness is. In our culture that we live in today, this is a huge accusation that people try and hurl and try and say, well, God's not fair. He doesn't deal with people in a fair way. God doesn't fit our preconceived ideas of fairness. And when that is not the way we think it ought to be. If God doesn't fit our idea of fairness, then we hurl accusations at God. The Living Bible, Living Application, or Life Application Bible Commentary, rather, I'll get it right in a minute. The Life Application Bible Commentary uh, sets forth this, this chart that I want to bring up. And it's about God being just. There's a wrong view, which tends to be a, a worldview in the world we live in today. And then there's a correct view. Now, the red is what I typed in myself. That wasn't in their chart. But look at the wrong view of the justice of God. Here's the wrong view. There's a law of fairness and justice that is higher and more absolute than God. So, in other words, mankind, we take our perception of what's fair, and we elevate that to be more important than God himself, which I just call that human logic. This law of fairness and justice that we think somehow is binding to God, is that, that's how we view it. We, we think God has to submit to it. It's even binded for him. God must act, according to our erroneous viewpoint, God must act in response to that law of fairness in order to be fair and just. Once again, that's just human logic. It's us saying, God, this is fair, that's not fair. We don't like the way you're operating, and, and we expect God to have to jump through our hoops. Our response is to appeal to that law. In other words, if we don't like something and we think God's being unfair, instead of us appealing to God as being the ultimate authority, we try and appeal to some idea of what fairness is. And that's just our human logic trying to bypass accountability to God. God, that's not fair. I don't like it. So what's a correct view? Here's a correct view of God's justice. God himself is the standard of justice. God is the standard of justice. Not your mindset, not your opinion, not our culture's opinion, not what the world might think is fair or unfair. That's not the standard of justice. God himself is the standard of justice. The correct view of God's justice is also this. He uses His power according to His own moral perfection. Not what you and I think is His moral perfection, but what is His own defined moral perfection, whether we think it's fair or not. 
doesn't matter. What matters is God says it's right. This whatever he does is fair. Third point on that correct view. Whatever God does is fair, even if we don't understand it. Even if we don't like it, whatever God does is right. It's not based upon our fairness. And our response ought to be this. We ought to appeal directly to God because we're accountable to God. He's not accountable to us. I can't come to God and say, God, I just don't think that's fair the way you're dealing with this or that. We have to come to God and appeal directly to Him. He's the one in charge. We're not. We, we don't get to set the rules. We don't get to establish what is fair and, and what isn't fair. He does. That's, that's at the heart. I, I, guys, I, you know, please, please understand me saying this. Is not, I'm, anytime I bring up something like this, I, I am not trying to bash a certain element in our culture. But who, who has the right to say what is biblical marriage and what isn't biblical marriage? You and I based on fairness or God based upon His own character? It's just an illustration of it. God has the right to choose. We don't have the right to say, God, that's unfair. And yet that's what man wants to accuse God of. Paul shows us clearly that God is just and righteous in his dealings with mankind in, uh, in these verses, in, in verse 9 through 20. And I'm going to read that, and I'm going to hit the highlights of it, and, and we're going to be done. More or less, what, what Paul is, is doing, he's saying, you're trying to say God does not treat people fairly because you're trying to say he treats the Jews different than the Gentiles, the Gentiles different than the Jews. Da 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 da. Here's, here's what Paul says. What then? Are the Jews better off? Are they better than the Gentiles? No, he says, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. All are accountable. The creation, the conscience, the Jews who have in the Bible, they're all accountable to God. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That includes the Gentiles, the Jews, everybody. None's righteous. See, God is dealing with everybody in fairness. He's not picking and choosing. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, talking about the Jews, so that every mouth may be stopped, that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For, the, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified, made like they've never sinned, in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The accusation is this, God, you're unfair because you deal with people unfairly. Paul's response is this, no, he's not, and here's why. Number one, the whole world is guilty of sin. The whole world is guilty of sin. Jew, Gentile, you, me, everybody that's ever lived except for Jesus Christ because he's God in the flesh, all are guilty for sin. There's no difference. That's really the message of Romans. You could you know, use those two words and it'd be a theme of Romans. No difference. All are sinners, no difference. We're all saved the same way, thank God. No difference between the Jew or Gentile. The whole world, God is dealing with us fairly because everybody's sinners. 
Not just the whole world is guilty of sin, the individual is guilty of sin. Because after he said not at all, we've already established that all, both Jews and, and Greeks, are under sin. He says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And the reason I broke that down and compartmentalized it a little bit is this. It's easy for us sometimes to sit back and say, yes, the world, everybody's a sinner. And it's hard sometimes for us to say, I'm a sinner also. But the Bible clearly says, none is righteous, no, not one. And then what Paul does in the rest of those verses is give evidence like a court trial has taken place that all are guilty of sin. Look at what he says. The evidence that he brings to bear that we're all guilty and thus he is dealing with us fairly. First of all, man's inner self in our character, our attitude, we're guilty before God. We're sinners before him. No one understands, no one seeks God. If you start arguing that case, I've had people argue that case before. Well, no, you don't understand, the preacher. I went seeking after God. You might have thought you did, but he started it first. That's the only reason you decided ever to try and seek after him. No one understands, no one seeks after God. That's, that speaks of the character and the attitude of mankind. But not just our character, our inner self, but our outer self, by our conduct and our actions, we are also sinners before God. So God's dealing with everybody fairly because we're all sinners. He said all have turned aside, not just part of us, all of us have. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then it's like Paul does an x-ray of the human race. And he's gives an x-ray of mankind from our head to our feet i want you to notice what he says in the details of how bad our sin is look at the next slide by our words man is sinful by our words look at all the phrases he uses there their throat what's it like an open grave i'd say that stinks wouldn't you their tongues lie deception our lips like the poison of snakes our mouth bringing curses and bitterness Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem is in here, but it's manifested by the way we talk. We are, we are sinful, and it's manifested by the very words that we say. Thank God that we can change that, though. We can, as Romans 9, 10 says, we can say, Jesus is Lord. And that can be changed in our lives. Not only is man sinful by his words, he's also sinful by his walk. Look at the phrases that's used there again. Their feet. What do we do with our feet? We run to shed blood swiftly. You know, we don't like to be confronted with the depravity of the human heart. But what causes a man to walk into a theater and people that he doesn't even know just decide to open fire on a group of people? doesn't matter if it's a little girl, a little six-year-old girl, a baby. doesn't matter. gives us a picture of the, of the human heart. Our, our, our feet, we... We want to run and shed blood swiftly. Our paths cause ruin, misery, the way of peace not known. The eyes, that's even part of our walk because he said there's no fear of God before them. As we live our lives, as we walk, oh, no fear of God. We'll just live our lives like we want to live our lives. Mankind, we're sinners because of our words. We're sinners because of our walk. We're even sinners because of our works. See, that's why we can't be saved by good works. Somehow we imagine if we can just build a stairway to heaven, if we can just obey the Ten Commandments, if we can just be good enough, then God's going to let us into heaven. But Paul disproves that in a big way because he says, we know whatever the law says, it says... 
the people who are under the law. Why? So their mouths can be shut. <laughs> Quit bragging and thinking that you can do it yourself. Shut your mouth and understand that you're a sinner. That's what the law ought to do. It ought to shut our mouths. That the whole world might be accountable before God. And then he says, by the works of the law, by us, by our performance, by our deeds, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, be made like we've never sinned in his sight. Because that's not why he gave us the law to begin with. He gave us the word to show us how much we need grace. He's given us the, the law to show us how huge of a sinner that we are. We live in a world that worships at the shrine of public opinion instead of what God says. We live in a world where truth is determined by percentages and weighing it out on a scale instead of absolute truth from God. We live in a world where we imagine that we can come before God and argue our case against God instead of realizing we don't come before God to argue our case. We come before God to say, God, I am lost. I am undone. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Remember Jesus saying, unless you come as a little child, you will in, in, in no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. People try and take that and misread it, and they think, oh, so we have to come innocent. Yeah, there's a problem with that. There's no not good, no not one. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You can't come in innocence. You know what I think Jesus meant? A little child does not come saying, look what I've done. Look at my merit. Look at all these things I have in my hand that I've done for you. You must let me into your kingdom, God, because of all that I've done. No, you see, a little child doesn't have any of those accomplishments or that mentality. A little child just has to come and say, I'm, God, I'm, I'm empty-handed. I come trusting in you. I understand the last few weeks talking about sin, 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 even with John singing wonderful songs. <laughs> Our other praise band members or praise team leaders doing great worship. I understand sin is not a fun topic. But it is a very needful topic because if we don't understand, we are bankrupt before God and we can't save ourselves, then you will never, ever ask Jesus for, for salvation. You can make accusations against God trying to think, oh, God, if I can just accuse you of something and prove it, I'll get off the hook. No, he'll always prevail. He's always God. He's always right. He's always just. He's always true. So as we get ready to have the band come out and do, a, do this thing we call decision time or an invitation, I want to ask a couple of questions. Question number one is simply this. Has your mouth ever been stopped before God? I first typed that in this week. I just put, has your mouth been stopped before God? But I thought, no. Nah. I think the word ever needs to go there. Because you see, there are some people who are still somehow holding on to their goodness and their righteousness or whatever it is. They need to come to the point in their life that they understand God is so holy and His Word is so perfect and we fall so far short 
our mouths ought to be stopped. We quit claiming what we can do and who we are. We're, our, our mouths are zipped shut before God because we recognize we're sinners. Second question I want to ask you is this. Are you boasting of your own self-righteousness and defending yourself before God? Because if you're doing that, I don't care how many facts you know about Jesus. I don't care if you can quote this frontwards and backwards and in between. If you are still boasting about your own self-righteousness and you're trying to defend yourself before God, you are still lost in your sin. It is by grace. Thank God. Aren't you glad it's by grace? That means you have to quit defending yourself. Quit accusing God. Agree with God. God, I'm lost. I'm undone. Don't have anything I can bring. And I'm going to trust completely in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I'm going to live for you because of what you've done for me. Let's pray. Father, God, I admit it's hard to be thankful for the description of sin that you give in the first three chapters of Romans. God, as much as we might dislike it, your word is true and you're perfect and you alone are righteous. God, forgive us when we try and be self-righteous. Forgive us when we try and argue our case before you and against you and bring accusations against you and try and imagine somehow if we can just look like there's some flaw with you, then we'll be all right. God, you plainly tell us we've all sinned and we all fall short of your glory. You plainly tell us because of the way you made us, our very conscience, and the creation around us, that we're accountable before you. And God, you've given us your word that ought to stop our, stop our words, our voices, to where we, God, we just sit lost before you. And then you loved us enough to send your Son to do for us what we could not do, to pay the price on the cross for our sins, so that not through the law we become justified, but through faith in Jesus and His finished work. Father, if there's someone here today that's they've never shut their mouth before you, and they've always made excuses, and they've always tried to argue their case, God, I pray right now with your holiness that they would see you high and lifted up right now and, and that their mouths would be shut. And that they would come before you, not holding on to their goodness, but they would come with empty hands, admitting that they are lost without hope except for Jesus, and give them the faith they need to trust in Him. God, those of us that know you, forgive us, Lord, when we are unfaithful. But God, we thank you and we celebrate and we worship you that you are always faithful. Help us to live better for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand as John sings. If, uh, if you're someone that needs to trust in Christ, if maybe you've always 
made your arguments or your accusations against God. Why not let God's truth hush you today to where you realize your only hope is trusting in Jesus? And if that's where you are, we invite you to step out and, and come. And I'll be here at the front if you, if you need me. We'll have others available that can help show you in the Bible the things that it says about trusting Christ as Savior. It begins by understanding and admitting that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. So if that's where you are, why not come today? And those of us that know Him, it may be a good day to come because we know sometimes we're unfaithful. You are, I am. It might be a good time just to come and kneel and say, God, thank you. You're always faithful. You always keep your promise. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.